0: Our time in the Word is going to be a little different this morning in that we have a special service plan today. At the end of our time, we'll be welcoming some new members to the church, and before that, we're going to introduce the first graduates of our Berean Training Center. I'm going to spend a little time explaining what that is all about as well. See, there are important aspects of church life. This means we only have time for an abbreviated sermon this morning, not, not typical for us, but with that in mind, I've decided to use this time for a special message. We'll return to our time going through Matthew's Gospel next week. But instead, I want to introduce a new periodic series we're calling that The Shepherd's Pulpit. If you've been here for a while, you know that I've periodically done some Q&A sermons where we give the congregation a chance to ask whatever Bible question they might have, which we then answer from the pulpit to edify the whole church body. Now, I envision these shepherding sermons being similarly periodical, just once, or twice a year. This is where I get the opportunity to use the pulpit to shepherd the church on pressing matters, of course, still based on the scriptures. This was the pattern of the apostles, where they used the pulpit and pen to bring God's word to bear on various issues affecting local churches. Sometimes this was done by way of correction. So the apostle Paul wrote the letter of Galatians to the Galatian churches, Partly just to rebuke them for tolerating the Judaizers. He wrote Colossians to stave off the Colossian heresy which had been infecting local churches. But the motive was not always correction. Oftentimes it was encouragement. Paul had no serious corrections to give the Philippian and Thessalonian churches. They were solid, but he exhorted them nonetheless to excel still more in their love and faith. Additionally, Peter wrote Second Peter, he says, to just stir up the believers by way of reminder. They did not necessarily need to learn something new. They just needed to be reminded of what they already confessed, that they might live it out more faithfully. And furthermore, we have indications that what the apostles wrote in their letters, they preached in person. And so pulpit and pen were these two shepherding staffs to direct the churches and the flock of God where they ought to go. Really, the early church fathers carried on this practice, though they understood that there is a categorical difference between them and the apostles, and that they were not writing under inspiration. Nonetheless, they still used pulpit and pen to shepherd the churches. So, Ignatius was an early pastor or bishop of Antioch, but he was sentenced to death by the Romans, and they shipped him off to Rome for a very special execution but along the way, he wrote these seven letters to various local churches: Philadelphians, the Ephesians, the Romans, and that he might give them these final admonitions for living as Christians. You should read those letters. They contain specific instruction, uh, instructions tailored to the strengths and weaknesses of each of these local churches. <clears throat> I am certainly not an apostle or prophet, I'm not speaking or writing under inspiration. But I see the ongoing value of using pulpit and pen to shepherd the church on pressing issues. In fact, I've always done this, only now we're just calling it out with a formal label. The goal is not to insert my own cleverness or ingenuity, but just to take the inspired word of God and bring it to bear on issues affecting our local church. Ordinarily, we're committed to use the pulpit for the systematic, expository preaching of the scriptures so I'm talking about going verse by verse through a book of the Bible, and that, that will never change. This really has the advantage of exposing us to the whole counsel of God, and it doesn't allow us to skip the hard or problematic passages. It's a good thing. But look, especially when we're in what, what's probably going to be like a seven-year haul through the Gospel of Matthew, <laughs> we might not see pressing issues that the church needs to hear from the Word for, for many years, like biblical parenting or conflict resolution or whatever. So it's helpful then to take quick detours and explore God's word as it relates to various shepherding issues. Now for this first message, I definitely don't have anything to say by way of rebuke or correction. Rather, like Paul said of the beloved Philippian church, as I think about this church, and I know I speak for the elders, and my dominant thought is just one of thanksgiving. Just like Paul said of the Philippians in Philippians 1, 3 through 5, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. We would say amen to that. But even though the Philippian church was solid, Paul still told them in chapter 1 verse 9 to abound more and more in their love. Even though the Thessalonian church was solid, he still exhorted them to excel still more in their faith and love. And so in the same vein, I felt just compelled to pass along an encouragement to this church to excel still more in its love and in its service. I want to tell you what just kind of brought this on my heart. It's just that recently, I personally have been so encouraged by seeing so many people at this church do something hard for the Lord, to serve the Lord. There's nothing new per se, but I've been blessed to see what seems like a, a string of servants sacrificially give And not to serve their own interests, but just to serve that of the Lord and his people. You've got our Brain Training Center grads who just devoted two years to intense equipping that they might be men of the church to serve the local body. One of those men is now enrolled in seminary, opting for not the path of ease, but struggle that he might be further equipped to serve God and his people. You've got just that horde of VBS volunteers and especially those administrators who devoted tons of personal time, not for personal gain, but just to implant gospel seeds in little hearts. We've got the youth ministry staff who took vacation time to serve our kids on retreat. We've got the guys who do countless hours to improve our facility. Not sure if you saw the new landscaping out front. It didn't come from nowhere. It's just a couple of guys who saw something that needed to be done and just did it. And the list goes on. You've got all the community group leaders, all the children's ministry workers and administrators, prayer team, sound, praise, outreach. The list really does go on. But the point is, I have been personally of late especially encouraged by the service of our church body. And I just wanted to put a spotlight on that service that the whole church might receive the same encouragement and also exhort the church to excel, excel even more in that love By way of service. I'd love to see even more people receive the blessing that comes from doing something hard to serve God's people, not choosing the path of comfort, but sacrifice for the name of Christ, however that might look. This is something we're all called by God to do. We're to use the fleeting days we have in this life to serve God and his purposes. And so I figured we all could be stirred up by way of reminder just to give more of ourselves, our time to the Lord and his purposes in this life. And so by way of a shepherding encouragement, go ahead and take your Bibles, open them to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, I want us all just to take to heart one key exhortation in Ephesians 5.16 about redeeming the time. Ephesians chapters 4 through 6 is familiar territory to us This is how we are to live as Christians. I think you're all also familiar with Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, which details how we used to live before our redemption. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, we were dead in our sins, verse 2, in which we formerly walked. And Paul introduces this walk metaphor, which really just describes how we live. And before salvation, how was that? He says in verse two, according to the course of this world, or literally the age of this world, the spirit of the age, spirit of the sons of disobedience was alive and well in us. That spirit is itself governed by the prince of the power of the air. He says in verse two, the devil, and it's still at work among the sons of disobedience among them. We too all formerly lived according to the lusts of our flesh. That's chapter two, verse three. But thankfully, that that is us no longer. We've been made alive by God in Christ. We've been given a new heart, a new nature, a new destination, all through this Savior, this one mediator we read about this morning, Christ Jesus. By faith in him, we've been justified. We've been made citizens and heirs of the age to come. Until then, though, God's will is for us to now be conformed to Christ's image. Like Paul says in Ephesians 4:15, we're now to grow up in all aspects into Christ the head. His image is to be forged in us. And so, as we have put off the old self, put on the new, which has been created in the likeness of God, chapter 4, verse 24, we are to now walk or live accordingly. And in chapters 4 through 6, he, he details what that walk or life looks like. How are we to live now as Christians? We're told in chapter 4, verse 1, to walk worthy. In chapter 4, verse 17, to walk holy. In chapter 5, verse 1, to walk in love. Chapter 5, verse 8, to walk in light. And then lastly, in chapter 5, verse 15, to walk in wisdom. And that gets us pretty close to the verse I want us to look at. Look at chapter 5, verse 15. It's the fifth of these walk metaphors, how we are to live as Christians in this age, he says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. He says, take great care how you walk. Christian life involves great dedication. It cannot be treated like a passing hobby or even a part-time job. It's meant to be this all-consuming life lived for the sake of Christ. He says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. God's wisdom is needed for navigating this life in this age. And the next verse, we really get the the perfect picture of that wise living in in kernel form. And this is the, the one verse I want us to meditate on, verse 16. He says, making the most of your time because the days are evil. And for those of you who grew up on the King James translation, you, you know this phrase as redeeming the time, redeeming the time. And I want us just to understand and then take to heart that one phrase. Making the most is one word in the Greek, ex agorazo. It's an intensified form of agorazo, which is the word for redeem or to buy. In ancient times, it was used to refer to purchasing an item. It's also used of redeeming a slave. Unto freedom. Redeeming is the literal translation. May not actually be the best translation because Paul is using it figuratively. Here, what is the object being redeemed? It's, it's not an object at all. It's, it's not a person being freed. It's, it's this abstract concept of time. Redeem the time. And that's not obviously something you can buy. But he's using the word metaphorically to speak of making the most of your time. And so the ESV has make the best use of your time. The NIV has make the most of every opportunity in fitting translations. Capture the sense of what Paul is saying here. The word for time itself is kairos, which is not speaking of time like a succession of moments, like an hour of time. That would be the Greek word a chronos. But kairos speaks of time more generally like a season or a period of opportunity offered by time. So overall here, Paul, he's he's exhorting the church to walk wisely. In this age, verse 16 explains what that looks like. And the sense is to make the most of your time. Take advantage of every season of life you are in. Just buy up and use every opportunity for good. Now to even better understand what, what he's getting at here, we should look at the reason he gives for this. Why should we be making the most of our time? He says in the second half of verse 16, because the days are evil. This word for days is sometimes used synonymously with that word for time. and the plural, days refers to a general season or period of time. It's effectively the same as age. The days they were living in are the same days we are living in and they're evil. This corresponds with what Paul says elsewhere about the days or the age. In fact, just a little bit later in chapter six, verse thirteen, we're told to take up the armor of God. Why? He says that we might resist in the evil day. Same words. <clears throat> there are days in the singular, meaning in the day the day in which we face temptation. We need this armor. But you tell me, on which days do we need to take up the armor of God that we might resist the temptation of sin and the devil, just like a few days or every day. Now, all of them, just until the Lord returns, and that's because the character of this age is evil. And that's because the ruler of this age is the devil. Second Corinthians 4.4, 4, he's called uh, the God of this age, which simply means he's been allowed to subvert God's rule and propagate vast evil in this world. This is why Paul straight up describes our time, Galatians 1.4, as this present evil age. Now, earlier this year, I actually preached two sermons on this very concept. The first was titled, This Age and the Age to Come. The second was titled, How to Live in this Present Evil Age. I would direct you there if you want to see even more reflections on the fact that the days are evil. But here, though, we're being told that because of this fact, There's one thing we must do, and that is redeem the time. Believers must not waste opportunities, because in an evil age, they may be fleeting. Paul does not tell us to fear the evil days or run from them. We're never told to disengage, but he does tell us to walk wisely in the evil days. And we do that by seizing every opportunity. But but to what end? Like what exactly are we supposed to do at this time? Well, the next verse rounds this off. Verse 17. He says, So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In verse 15, we were told not to be unwise, but wise here, verse 17, it kind of completes that thought, says it more straightforward don't be foolish. Be wise, not unwise, don't be foolish. Don't be the fool who wastes time and opportunity. Rather, use your time to do the will of God. We are to understand or perceive what the will of the Lord is. And then obviously by implication, do it. If you think back again to chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, there are so many parallels and echoes of that throughout Ephesians. And here's another one. You know, Back in Ephesians 2, 3, we're, cold, uh, we're told to, we, rather, we used to live, chapter 2, verse 3, according to the will, or the of the flesh. We used to live according to the lusts of our flesh, but no longer. We've crucified the flesh, and now we live according to what? Here in this verse, verse 17, chapter 5. Now we live according to the will, or thelema, the same word, of the Lord. We no, no longer live according to the will of our flesh, but the will of the Lord. He directs how we live, why we live, what we do, how we spend our time in our days here below. And when God calls us and saves us, he doesn't just immediately take us to heaven. I mean, you might wish, but he leaves us behind to keep living on earth. And he has many purposes for our redeemed lives in that, right? And so we are to understand those purposes, his will for us, we're to perceive them through his revealed word, he's told us in his word, and then we are to live accordingly. We are to redeem or take advantage of every fleeting opportunity in this evil age to serve God's purposes, not our own. This is something every believer should want to do. That's because you yourself have been redeemed. You are on borrowed time. First Corinthians 6.20 says, for you have been bought. Agarazzo, same word, you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Like we were redeemed first, purchased from the slave market of sin by Christ. He paid the steep price of his own blood, exchanging his own perfect life for ours, paying for our sins on the cross. And The moment we believed we were redeemed, our old self died, we rose to new life, and that new life belongs to the Lord. He, he bought it. He owns it. We are his slaves of righteousness now. We owe our lives to him. We are to use our lives for him. Like Colossians 3.3 3 says, we have died. Our life is hid with Christ in God. He is our life. and It's our joy now to serve him eternally. And, and we're supposed to start now. But how many Christians go on just living for self and seeking their own plans and purposes to the neglect of God's, or even worse, how many use their time to keep fulfilling their sinful lusts and desires? The answer is all of us, to some degree, we're not yet glorified. But this is precisely why we need to be exhorted often to glorify God in your body to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, to redeem the time. This is how we are to walk wisely in this present evil age so as to honor the God who redeemed us and that we might fulfill his purposes for us. Okay, so at this point, I hope you just better understand the impact of just this one simple phrase in Ephesians 5.16, Redeem the time. This is one of those foundation stones of Christian living. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, we are to no longer live for self, but Christ. We no longer pray our will be done as if we are king, but his will be done. We are to carefully discern what that will is through the scriptures. And then we're to redeem the time so as to do it, to live it out. In this evil age, it's hard to do because distractions and temptations abound. But walk wisely. Take every opportunity. Use every season of life to serve God and his purposes. Now we don't have much time left. This is an abbreviated sermon. What I want to do in the rest of our time is really flesh out the application of just this one simple standing order. Some of you might already be Convicted to change in the sense that you don't feel like you are doing much to redeem your time and serve God's purposes. If that's the case, I would say, good, my, that conviction is good. Don't, don't silence it. Let it sit there. Let the Spirit convict and lead to change. Others might be affirmed knowing in, in faithfulness you are redeeming the time to serve the Lord. I would say excel still more. Either way, though, practically now, how do you do this? What does it look like to make the most of your time and carry out God's purposes in this present evil age? And here there's a million ways to apply this. Just search the scriptures for God's will for our life and just do that. But for our time here, I want to call to attention just one massive way. You should be redeeming your time according to the word. And again, in the spirit of that encouragement to excel still more, it would be to to use that time To to serve God's people in love. Use your time to serve God's people in love. We follow a Savior Christ who did not come to be served, but to serve. And he tells us to follow him. We are to serve others. Now, of course, we aim to do good to all people. But as Galatians 6.10 says, it says, while we have opportunity, or literally kairos, same word, while we have time. Let us do good to all people, but especially to those who are of the household of the faith. We're to serve especially God's people. Is this his will for our lives? Yes, that, that should be a no-brainer. You should know that. It's just everywhere in Scripture. One example, First Peter 4.10, where exhorted says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Verses like this all over, just like back in Ephesians 4. As Christ ascended on high, he gave gifts to men, granting everyone a, a portion of grace that they might serve. To be utilized by all the saints, a spiritual gift for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. We we seek and serve our own interests plenty enough, Right? If you want to glorify God, just take some of that devotion to self and, and then devote it to others, to helping others, especially in the church, to become like the Lord. Spend it to help others. Now, since this is a, a shepherding sermon, I think it's fitting at this point to take a page out of the preaching of the Puritans, who oftentimes would exposit just a single phrase of the scriptures and then spend the rest of the time fleshing out the application for the various groups in the church. What might this look like in each stage of life, especially since this is talking about that the seasons of life redeem that the stage of life you are in? How do you do this? Well, let's, let's think about it a little. Let's, let's start with our young people, our youth students, our college students. Most of you have no idea what kind of gift of time you have. Take heed of Ecclesiastes 12 verse 1 which says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. You have the gift of youth itself, which comes with this vigor and strength and endurance. But as the old saying goes, youth is wasted on the young. <laughs> but who among you will prove wise? Where you see the opportunity you've been afforded by time and you invest it to serve not just yourself, but God's purposes. You're starting to gain the freedom that comes with adulthood, but you're still free from the those big responsibilities of life like a career or marriage or children. You don't yet ha- have great biblical knowledge, but you have time and energy. How can you use what you have to serve God's people? And So why not? A million examples here, but why not just... You know, seek out an older saint who can no longer mow their lawn or maintain their property, and you do it for them. You know, it's harder for those who are older to keep up with the unlimited energy of the toddlers in Sunday school, but you can keep up with them. Why don't you step in there and volunteer and serve? Look, you're not going to teach a class in the church. You're not there yet, but you have time. You have energy. How can you use it to serve the Lord? Let me talk to the singles of whatever age, I just hope you realize the blessedness of singleness. Talk about a season of life that comes with a unique opportunity to serve the Lord. Don't take that for granted. You trust God's will for marriage. If that's something you desire, his timing is perfect. But in the meantime, redeem your time to serve the Lord in a way those who are married cannot. It's just like 1 Corinthians 7.33 says, that the married, they're concerned about the things of the world how they might please their spouse. Their interests are divided, but not so for the unmarried. They're free from those concerns. They're able to devote themselves entirely to the Lord's concerns. That doesn't mean they'll do it. They're free to do it. Now, what will you do with your time? You've got the chance to do something great for the Lord. One example of something great, why not go on missions, short-term, long-term, Get equipped. Seek out an opportunity. Our young church has now its first seminarian. I'm still wondering who will be our first homegrown missionary. Or if you want to take a big step, do something hard for the Lord, why not get like ACBC certified? Learn how to biblically counsel others from God's word. That might take you years, but gaining such biblical wisdom will pay dividends. Just, just don't squander the freedom and flexibility afforded in your season of life. Now, for the married and parents, you have God's commands which divide your interests. And that's, that's part of God's plan, so it's not a bad thing, but you're told to provide for your family, love your spouse, shepherd your kids. Your family is your number one ministry, and that's all good. That's by God's design. But it does inhibit your ability to serve the interests of the local church Let me say a couple of things about that, though. First, know that when you serve and shepherd your family, you are serving the church. Stable, godly families are the backbone of the church. They lead to stable, godly churches. And so by all means, pour yourself into your family ministry during this unique, fleeting season of life. In fact, to better serve them, get equipped like Redeem the time. Become an expert in biblical marriage, parenting. Go get a stack of biblical books. Dive in the Word. Learn everything God has to say about this. Just become an expert. And put, uh, put into practice all that God says. That you might bless your family and your children. And in so doing, you will be blessing the church. Now that said, though you must serve your family first, that doesn't mean you have to entirely neglect the church. You're in a season of limited flexibility. You can't responsibly drop everything and go to the mission field. You'll have to find the balance, but there is still plenty of time to engage with the church body to serve others. It'll probably come down to priorities. God's interests on one side and extracurriculars, sports, stuff on the other side. They're not wrong. I would just exhort you to to seek first God's kingdom, put his people first. Now, how about the empty nesters? Those in their 50s, their 60s, in many ways, I would say you are now in your prime. The kids are gone. The, the gift of time has returned to you. Your interests are no longer divided. Like Some of your physical strength may be fading. But you have time, you have finances, you have experience. I hope you have biblical wisdom. This is a prime season to serve. Yeah, a chunk of your time is with grandkids. It's understandable, but... Just think about all these young families at church that don't have godly parents to look up to, to learn from. There are many. So why don't you step in and share your experience? Look, for better or for worse, the things you got right, things you got wrong, you can still share. Find a young couple, build a relationship over time, invite them over, babysit for them, teach them how to do laundry and change attire, impart biblical wisdom to them, I would just say abandon those plans to retire and tour the country in an RV with no connection to the local church. Look, flexibility has returned to you. And use it to serve. It's even a prime time to be leaders, disciplers in the church. That You might need a little more training to get to that point, but it's never too late to learn, to grow, to serve. And look, that goes for the senior crowd, the great-grandparents. Many times at this church, I've had some of our seniors come up to me and say that at their previous church, they were told they were too old to serve. So they were dismissed, they were retired forcibly, they were no longer needed in church life. And as I said, it's just crazy talk. Like, why would we sideline our most experienced and often most godly people? Like we understand the futility of these fallen bodies. So with age, your endurance is fading. So you're not going to do much manual labor around the church. But whatever your strength allows, you're still a member of the church. How can you serve? There's still plenty of opportunities from being a prayer warrior to holding babies in the nursery. By this time, you're probably an excellent cook. You just have a ministry of giving meals to those who are in need. The point is, we will never retire you. You might think you're too old for this, you're too old for that, but reality is you're still here, which means God has purpose for your life and serving him and his people. Just make sure you sprint in your race to the very end. This goes for all of us because no matter your age, today could be your last day. Because of sin, this world is cursed, our bodies are cursed, and therefore living in an evil age, there's always going to be a sense of futility to this life. We've been reminded this morning of the need to walk wisely. You might think, I need to learn about that. Let me go read Proverbs. And you should. But I also exhort you to go read Ecclesiastes, which has so much biblical wisdom and perspective on time, life, years. That this life is so fleeting and futile, especially when lived apart from God. This life without God is vanity. You have no purpose, and you will find no lasting satisfaction in what you set your heart to do. Everyone out there in the world is just chasing their will. They're trying to fill up all their wants and desires and pleasures. Most never get it, but even when they do, they find it it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't taste as good as they thought, not for long. Life under the sun is empty, futile, and vain. It's only when you come to know God, fear God, love God through Christ, that you find this, this true joy and this lasting satisfaction in whatever you do. You find this amazing paradox that as you die to self and you serve God's purposes, not your own, somehow you are fulfilled. You're, you're happy. You gain the joy of the Lord. Your cup runs over. You might not be healthy or wealthy. You might not have all the relationships you want to have. You might not have much here below. But if you have the Lord, it, it's well with your soul. And as you serve his purposes, you find at the end of the day, you're, you're satisfied. You are content. You are blessed This is what the Lord means when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's better to serve than to be served. Those who lose their lives for his sake will find it. It's it's good to spend your life for the Lord. And so embrace the race of faith. It's a life lived chasing the glory of God, the fame of Christ's name, and the good of those around you. And I find that those who empty themselves in seeking Christ they actually live the fullest lives and they're the most fulfilled. So redeem the time because the days are evil. Better to spend the few days you have under the sun serving God, running well the race of faith that in the end you might be able to say with Paul, 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, familiar words. He says, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's take this resolve to the Lord in prayer. Our God in heaven, this is our heart's resolve and cry just to seek you, to seek Christ, to run this race of faith you put us on with endurance to the end. I pray you convict all your people and, and that they receive the encouragement to excel still more in their love for you and your people and to show that in their service. I, the elders we are so delighted, always encouraged for a decade of this church, and it is genuine love and, and service for the body. There are, there are no complainers. I don't hear grumblers. These, these are happy people, Yet you always exhort us to excel still more in becoming like Christ, pouring out our entire lives as offerings. Uh, on the altar that we may honor the one who redeemed us we serve a savior who gave himself unto god's wrath on the cross to buy us back that we were lost and dead in our sins living according to the course of this world under the power of the prince of the power of the air indulging in the desires of the flesh by nature children of wrath even still by your mercy you sent the savior to die for us to rise again to redeem us Our lives just belong to you. Help us to wake up to that reality and live accordingly. Use our time, redeem our time accordingly. In that, you give us joy. Unspeakable joy, a hidden fulfillment that's only found in in losing self for your purposes. So convict, sanctify, encourage, build up this church this morning in your truth. Redeem the time. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.